Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Hi, welcome back to Two Guys, One Book. I'm Brian. I'm, I'm Tim. Yeah, <laughs> I should have said that first. No. Um, <laughs> you just pointed to me like, oh, yeah. I was supposed to just talk. Okay, we'll figure that yeah. out eventually. <laughs> so this week, Brian chose Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke. Yes. And why did you choose it, Brian? Uh, because it's, I want to read more science fiction because I like science fiction and Arthur C. Clarke is, uh, you know, I think on the Mount Rushmore of science fiction authors, he did 2001 A Space Odyssey, but that was too mainstream. So I just kind of researched into what else he wrote and, uh, this one sounded interesting. So this is why I picked it. Um, I know it took you a while to get through it because you're not a science fiction reader. Do you want to try to give your synopsis of the plot, and then I can elaborate upon <laughs> Fill in it? Fill the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say it did take me a while to get into. I don't read sci-fi that often, or fiction in general, but especially sci-fi. Mm-hmm. feels a little, like, nerdy. But I'm a nerd, too, so <laughs> I should appreciate it. Right. Um, yeah, basically, it's, like, the year 2077, I think. No. I think it's later than that. I think it's, like, 2130 or okay, something like that. Okay, you're right. Yeah. It was. I remember that year stands out because that's when they started. There, uh, a meteorite hit like Italy somewhere, and then it caused like huge devastation. Right. And then that's when they started building these spaceships to like confront uh, things that come into orbit to prevent another tragedy. Mm-hmm. So that's when like it kind of sets the stage. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, twenty one thirty or something. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they encounter like what they think might be another uh, asteroid. But it turns out to be this, like, crazy floating thing in another world. <laughs> I don't know. You describe it, Brian. <laughs> it is a flying cylinder through space that is flying along. It is um, laterally, mm-hmm. like a cylinder on its side flying through like space. Like a Pringles can. Like a Pringles can. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. Because it was many, many kilometers long. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had a good size diameter too, and it was spinning. While it was a Pringles can basically rolling across the floor, mm-hmm. was what Rama was, and but it was going through space, obviously. So, because like, I'm fascinated to get your perspective on this because would you say that this book, that this story, there's a lot that happens? Mm-hmm. Oh, really, you would say that. I w- oh, you're asking me. Does yes, I'm happen? asking your opinion. Do you th- did this book? No, no, I yeah. don't. I don't think that much happened really. Right, <laughs> and I think this is where I think that we're gonna have a good discussion because I think we can branch off of, uh, on several different topics, topics like extraterrestrial life and 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 space exploration and and you know just Pringles, <laughs> <laughs> sour cream and onions. <laughs> Yes, uh, Pringles. Yes. yes. No, I agree. There's a lot of directions we could take this conversation. Right. But it's funny you mentioned that not much really happened um, in general because someone else, I was reading their like review of the book and they said it just felt like one big tease. <laughs> that, where it's like there's never really a payoff. You keep waiting. They keep uh, encountering this mysterious planet and trying to find more about it and things mm. like that. And, um Okay, so yeah. you think Rama is a planet, not a spacecraft? I mean, did they ever explicitly say? No, it's because it's an alien object. 
It's like, somewhere between a planet and a spacecraft. <laughs> right. Can I can I geek out and, and elaborate geek about away. the Pringles can that is Rama? <laughs> yeah. It I found this book so fascinating because this is a purely original idea, right? Like I've never even heard of this before where essentially the Pringles can is hollow inside or Rama. Rama is hollow inside. They enter it from like the, what they call the north uh, 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 plane and they stay along the axis. And so since Rama is spinning, it's hollow inside, it, the, that centripetal force gives it a sense of gravity on the inside where they, they come out, I mean, like I, can't, I don't even do it justice, I'm, I, but they, they come in the axis of the rotation of, the, of Rama. They enter Rama and they're at this, this bottom of a bowl and they look out and they just see this, the, the whole length, they don't see it obviously because it's dark at first when they go in there. And they see this whole length of the, of the Rama just expanding before them. And there's these, they do everything in threes. And so they have these three stairways leading from this bottom of this bowl, but they, they are radially outwards. And as you go along these stairways, though the rotation of Rama creates that gravity, gravity effect to where you can walk along the wall, inner walls of Rama and look above you and see halfway across the diameter, you can see that across the diameter of inside Rama and it's not sky, but it's the other ground. Mm -hmm. Like it reminds me of um, the end of Inception, or not Inception, Interstellar. I get my Christopher Nolan movies mixed up. Where they leave Earth and they've created, they're like in this spaceship and it's kind of like they, uh, kids are playing baseball and they hit a ball and it goes up and it cracks a window like up on the side of the yeah. circular in uh, spaceship. So, I mean, I just felt like the way Arthur C. Clarke explained things, I found it so fascinating that that there was this hollowed out cylinder with its own gravity and then eventually as it gets closer to the sun it heats up and the ice in the middle of the the cylinder that that runs radially in, inside the cylinder melts and it, there's some sort of water and then life and then there's weather on the inside a storm happens the astronauts have to sh seek shelter from the storm they have to get out of rama but then when they go back in then you know things are um then light the lights turn on and these little they call them biots which are little bike uh bio I forget. robots <laughs> yeah bio robots biological robots or something mm -hmm. and that are basically groundskeepers for the inside aroma and i just had this i could picture it so so clearly that this this massive ship i mean and everything he did because like arthur c clark is like a scientist a legit scientist and he just write then he wrote books as well so like all the science makes logical sense that and and it was I just found it very compelling yeah you studied physics right at yes one point? okay yes. I thought the physics were interesting like you were saying how it's a cylinder and mm -hmm. you can walk around and it was funny they talked about the explorers like would freak out a little bit that because they'd be walking and then see like upside down yeah and like it resists that urge to feel like they're falling or that sense that yeah, yeah so oh yeah I just cool. I just found this. Or there's like an really ocean fancy. that's like yes. cylindrical, cylindrical. Right. The sea. cylindrical sea. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That is about halfway uh, down the Rama that the runs, the you know, just circles 
mm-hmm. the the midpoint of Rama, so to speak. And so they only stay on the ha- north half, and you know the south half they don't even really get to because of the it's a, the, such a big cliff by the cylindrical sea. So they don't even they explore that a little bit with some sort of like pedal bike thing that yeah. flies because like that's the beauty. The one thing I found fascinating was that at that axis of rotation inside Rama there was zero G mm-hmm. because you're still in outer space and it's and that's the the, the ro- rotational effects of Rama aren't felt there and it just I just felt like that was so creative and imaginative that um, I just dug it yeah I think you have to give Arthur C. Clarke some, some credit for being that creative while still maintaining the scientific grounding mm-hmm. um, that it is a little bit realistic, I guess. Right. Uh, to some degree. <laughs> I think, in general, I like the idea of this small team going up to confront this massive thing, like the unknown, and not really knowing what to expect, um, you know, knowing that they could risk dying by going out there, mm-hmm. but trying to discover more about this uh, this thing. Right. So I like that aspect of it, just okay. like the adventure side and the, yeah. I also liked... Um, the United Planets. Do yeah. you like that part where they had this basically council back that was meeting on Mars? Basically, like the instead of the United Nations, it was the United Planets. And they even mentioned like sometime like, oh man, a hundred some years ago they had the UN with all the countries on Earth. And we can't imagine how complicated that would have been because the United Planets was only there's nine like Earth, Venus. No, no, there's no one on Venus because it's so gaseous. But Mercury, Earth, Moon, Mars, they had people on a- the different asteroids in the asteroid belt, and like on a couple moons of J- Jupiter and Saturn. So I thought that was a cool aspect of it too. Um, that we were that he, in his in this story, humans are colonizing other planets to the point where people have prejudices from based on who where planet they're from, just like they would today from what country they're from and all that stuff. Yeah, and each planet has its own characteristics, too, or, like, people from, like, Mercury, like, that's, like, a powerful planet, so they're more aggressive, and I wondered if he was trying to reflect, like, geopolitical realities in the real world, you know, like, uh, this planet represents this nation and how they act, like... Yeah, the Mercury people might have been more, maybe the Soviets, because this was in in the early 70s was was when it was written. Mm Mm-hmm. Out of the Cold War, right? Yeah. So, okay. yeah. So you're just not a science fiction guy, huh? I mean, okay, I'm trying to think sci-fi I liked in the past. Like, right. I liked Ender's Game. I know that's more of, like, okay. young adult kids, but, like, yeah. I thought that was, like, creative mm-hmm. and exciting read. Um, right. Honestly, I know I've read others, but, like, I don't know. What's, like, your favorite sci-fi? Well, uh, wow. Well, you see, that's just it. I think... My favorite sci-fi are like all the dystopian books. Okay. I mean that because that's science fiction too, like Fahrenheit four fifty one, Brave New uh, World. I love you know, those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it, it's taking science and more. It's more of a societal look on science fiction. Yeah, I see know? sci-fi as more space stuff. Right, and I think, but I think science fiction. If you just look at the, what that means, it's just taking you know what the human capacity for science maybe and uh, exploring that what it could be in the future 
Yeah, it's kind of broad, but right. And then I know, but it has the very strong space connotations. Yeah, and I think that that is only natural. But um, but what about forget about books though, Tim? What about <laughs> movies and or TV shows? You you just don't even really grab well, watch those. At this all? reminded me of um, Annihilation that we saw not too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Which, no, I. I'm not trying to like hate on either one because I know we kind of made fun of the movie, yeah, uh, to yeah. some extent. Yeah. But the part I did like about the movie is that it was like Natalie Portman and these like three other women going into this unknown thing and trying to find out more about this alien presence, which had in, in that regard I found the parallels and I like that aspect of it. Right, you're right, and and that's a good point. Is there were parallels there, especially because in Annihilation, well, the book because they didn't really talk about the pit in the movie. But the book, there's a big pit that she goes down and she gets infected in the pit or whatever. But that's mm. similar. It's cylindrical, you know, tunnel going down. And the cylindrical Rama as well has some uh, parallels there. Cylinders. Yeah, I guess. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, but, yeah, do you even... Have you ever seen Star Wars? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I've have? seen Star Wars. Okay, but, like, you're not... I like it. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yep, that's a raving review from Tim. <laughs> Star Wars. He's a little over um, Okay. Um, I so, I mean, because I read this book in like a week. Because I was just, the, the chapters were short. I was compelled with, you know, what, what were we, what were we going to learn about Rama next? Like, I felt like we were along with the exploration team. Yeah. It's exciting that he kind of kept you on edge in that regard, but like mm-hmm. at the same time, it, there's not a big payoff. It's not like it didn't feel like this followed a, a good arc with a satisfying you're, conclusion. You're right. We we didn't even really say how it ends, right? We I just that's the, the what hooked me was Rama, his explanation about this giant flying cylinder. So I guess we still haven't finished our debate: is Rama a planet or a spacecraft? What do you say, Tim? I don't. I don't know. There's no answer in the book. Yeah. I say it's a spacecraft because, like, essentially what happens is Rama comes through our solar system. All the humans are freaking out because we're afraid that this is going to, like, they're going to attack us. So the the people from Mercury, who I I think he he cleverly called them, what, Hermians? Mm. Because, like, Hermes, Mercury were the same, you know, Greek or Roman. Um, And so... The Mercury Hermes on the Hermes on Mercury fired a, a, a bomb or missile at the at Rama because they were afraid of of the Ramans coming awake and because because we said all these little biots are bi- biological robots they didn't really have intelligence they just kind of performed routine tasks and so all the humans were worried that Ram, the Ramans inside were going to suddenly awake and then we'd be all screwed. Wasn't it also that Mercury like relied on the sun a lot for their industry? Yeah, and so kinda, yeah. yeah, this was a big part. It's I like, think so. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the justification was for launching the bomb is that they thought Rama, the planet, was going to like interfere with the orbit or uh, block them their sun reception. You know? Right. Yeah, I forgot about that. They thought that Rama was going to park itself in the solar yeah. system. Yeah, and screw us all up. Yeah, from a nation's perspective, that's like blocking off a resource or mm-hmm. something. So they're like, that's a threat to our way of life type thing. Yeah. But ultimately what happens is Rama gets so close to the sun that that 
Commander Norton and his crew have to have to evacuate. And I like that they were the ship's name was Endeavor, and they talked about Captain James Cook and that link there. I think was cool. But basically, Rama they think are they, they I think they were gonna they weren't sure if they were gonna park in the solar system, but then they thought well they were gonna use the sun to kind of gain momentum and then leave the solar system. But in fact, they, Rama kind of like skirts the sun and almost goes into like within part of the sun to really get a slingshot and, and zooms out of our solar system. So basically Rama just comes, we we hike, we hitchhike on it a little bit, explore inside, then we then we get off when it's too close to the sun and then it slings around the sun and leaves the solar system. Mm-hmm. And I think that this does, I think this, is, is it in a series? I think so. It's a series, but I don't think you wrote it originally with that intent. Okay. Yeah. But this, this, Another thing I liked about the book was because I never really thought about this aspect of alien life. Because the aspect I'm I'm referring to that in this book is we see alien the existence of alien life. It's within our solar system, yet nothing happens. You know, like every other story we think or read about or scenario that we can hypothesize about is like, or at least for me, I think about aliens, intelligent life, or if aliens out there, they're just not intelligent enough to travel to our solar system yet. Aliens are highly intelligent and just haven't gotten here yet. Or they're super intelligent and have observed us from afar and realized we're bumbling idiots and are never going to come here. You know, like... And then if you project that into all the science fiction movies and books and everything, it's like there's always some interaction between humans and aliens. When whenever we whenever we discover that they're really out there, mm-hmm. there's always some interaction. Here there was like no face to face interaction with the actual Ramans. It was just all their little, you know, are robots. Those, those are are those Ramans though? Like, <laughs> I don't think so. I think they. They, cause didn't they like dissect one and say like this is, this is, robotic, but it has a molecular level to to the base, the the structure of how it's made. So they kind of feel like it was kind of designed by somebody else. So yeah. So you know, like that's one thing I never even thought about is like just, and I think there's some quotes in here that I highlighted that, that reflect that fact that that we just. We see them, but then they're gone before we can interact or learn anything more from them. Yeah, along those lines, I thought it was interesting to hear the planetary committee people debating how they should handle the situation. Mm-hmm. And I thought what Arthur C. Clarke did a good job of was making it a realistic debate or discussion of what these people would say, like their concerns, mm-hmm. their um, ideas about what could happen. They talk about how, like, in the past if an alien civilization you know it hasn't happened before but when like uh pizarro met the indians or something or different like uh voyagers met other civilizations it usually didn't end well right right so right they're just saying uh this doesn't have a good precedent yeah precedent precedent in the past yeah. so yeah i thought that was interesting mm-hmm. but yeah what do you think about the commander norton I liked them. I mean, like, there was not much character development, no, but what we learn about them is, is interesting. And, like, 
I think one of the the guy that leads the United Planets mm-hmm. or the chairman of that is like 115 years old, and so like he also hypothesizes about that about longer life expectancy, and that Commander Norton has two wives, one on Earth and one on on Mars. So yeah. that's interesting. Arthur C. Clarke was trying to normalize <laughs> bigamy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But one thing I found interesting then too is two of his crewmates mm-hmm. on the Endeavor actually shared a wife. So he did have it go both ways. Where, but so yeah, written in the seventies, <laughs> right after the sixties. Yeah, so. yeah, free love and all that all stuff. That. So yeah, maybe Arthur C. C. Clarke was just a swinger. <laughs> just, yeah. Is that is that the is that the highlight of our our episode? Yeah, is we'll Arthur C. Clarke right was a swinger. That's my biggest takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> no, the part was funny when it talked about him having two wives because it it said he would send like a video message uh-huh. home, but he would keep it generic enough to like apply to both of them so be like hey honey i'm doing great yeah. Yeah. and just keep it really uh-huh. general yeah that yeah funny. that was good <laughs> but as a commander he talks about always like um putting his team first like mm-hmm. protecting his team so when people go off on like side expeditions he's you know, cares about them and stuff. So he sounds like a good leader and a captain. Right. So, yeah, I thought so too. Yeah. Oh, and one of my, I mean, like, I'm just, I was just so fascinated by the, the concept of inside the cylinder. Cause like, cause when they came through, they're coming along the axis. And so when they came through the hatch, they were looking out down a, a, a cylinder but as they went along the curved plane, they eventually flattened out. And so at one point, somebody at that hatch had to like throw a can down to the captain, and he just basically chucked it, and it kind of like bounced, bounced, and then rolled like for a couple kilometers just down the gentle slope, you know, until it finally reached camp. And I found that, but like from where his point of view was, it was up and to the left. But he tossed it sideways and it rolled. You know, I, it's just I can't even I can't even do it justice <laughs> because it's just it's just yeah. You really got into the science I did. side of it. I did, and that just the idea of Rama, um, yeah, fascinated me. I guess I just had trouble with the lack of character development, like yeah. you mentioned. I mean, other than describing Rama, I don't think there's nothing else that really happens. Yeah, I will give you that. I mean, it's it's. Not a book filled with action, but there. I mean, but like you never know what to expect, though. That's the thing is I I enjoyed. Yeah, is you never know what discoveries they're gonna make about Rama next. I can appreciate that. I just wished he like fleshed out some of the characters more. Mm. Like when he talks about um, like James Cook, the explorer, he talks about how Commander or Captain Norton mm-hmm. uh, was really like into him and his story, mm-hmm. and that uh, even though he was like one of these. Not conquistador, but like you know, voyagers who maybe colonized places. He wasn't like as evil as the typical one or something. So he's trying to like emulate him mm-hmm. and just this general theme of adventure and exploration. I like right. that aspect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because they went to the moon in '69, right? So mm-hmm. this is like not long after that. And it's written. Oh I'm right. Sure he's right. Yeah, the setting 
Yeah, I never thought of that before, but you're right. Like, yeah, yeah they would have still probably had Apollo missions when he was writing it. Mm-hmm. Man. That would be way more advanced by now. Would you, would you, if, if space travel was, was more, like, was possible for us, mm-hmm. would you go live on Mars? If there was, like, no risk of any issue. <laughs> well, yeah, like, in this book, they talk about, like, travel between Earth and Mars is, like, travel from here to Europe, you know? I think Mars is overrated. Really? Yeah. I know, okay, on the surface, that's kind of a blunt, stupid <laughs> statement, but, like, <laughs> We keep hearing about how people like Elon Musk are like obsessed uh, with it, yeah. but he just read all these sci-fi books when he was a kid, so I think he's just got this idea in his head, and he's like way smarter than me, so I'll trust that he knows what he's doing, but like living on the moon, I think is more realistic, mm-hmm. is what a lot of like scientists say, and um, in general, there's so much we can do on Earth still to make it better, instead of trying to like make an atmosphere on Mars, which sounds hard as hell like, yeah. to do, so yeah. why not just like use all, all of your intelligence and resources to like do you're stuff here yeah yeah sure you're one of those I goes would, to I, mars I, people. Would go, I, I mean why would you go to mars it sucks out there there's they, no they probably need Chipotle. they probably need surveyors in mars there's is no, all i'm gonna say no. <laughs> i'm a uh, side note i'm a surveyor um so i don't know i mean I mean, it's not even close to the realm of possibility, so I don't even have to make that decision. You know, I think that's that's the thing. It's like if something is completely out of the realm of possibility, then you 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 would be more apt to say that you would do it, right? Like, given the chance, Tim, would you climb Mount Everest? No. Okay. I mean, I, that's a bad example. You know, what I mean, like, uh, I don't know. If you could head a movie studio, would you do it? Sounds stressful. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like something, something more within the realm of possibility than living on Mars. You when, know what I mean? When you like, yeah, go ahead. Like, given an option of something completely un unattainable. I just can't tell if you when you offer me a, a hypothetical situation if I have to deal with all the negative things associated <laughs> with it, or if I can just think about the fun aspect of it. Right. Right. But no, I mean, yeah. there are people who were born when the first planes took off who, yeah. who lived to see the, uh, you know, go to Mars. So Well, moon. Go to, yeah, fuck, yeah, the, yeah. Sorry, the moon. Um, so yeah, there are things today that could seem unreasonable but still right. occur. Right. Um, yeah. And then that's, you bring up a good point that there are people that were born, saw the first flight, and then saw us land on the moon in their lifetime. So the, there's no wonder that they would expect us to have flying cars by now, you know? And come on, where are our flying cars? <laughs> that'd be that'd be disastrous, though. I mean, some people can't even drive on a two-dimensional yeah. Earth, let alone flying around in the sky. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we're. I mean, yeah. No, it it is interesting. Or like hoverboards. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's another question. Do you believe in extraterrestrial life? That there's something out there in the universe? There probably is. Okay. So you're you're just basically saying that from your statistical mind that the law of averages says there's got to be something else out there in the universe, right? Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I I agree. Mm-hmm. Do you think do you 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 don't believe in the UFOs then, do you? A UFO is an unidentified flying object. Yeah. I believe like, some flying objects are unidentified. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> are you asking me if I believe aliens have visited us? Correct. And then, um. Nah, I don't know. 
Probably not. I agree with you there. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's pretty egotistical to think that uh, aliens would go out of their way to come here and visit us. You know? Maybe they want our water. <laughs> or it's like in Signs when they come here. You see the movie Signs? A long time ago. Uh, okay. But they were like allergic to the water. Yeah. That's why it was so funny. Any sense. It was like the biggest plot hole in the yeah. world. It's just because like they come to this planet, it's like mostly water. Yeah. And then, oh, water kills us. So. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan, just master of. Was that when you started to go downhill? I think that was, wasn't it? Sixth Sense. Yeah. I don't know. But then he's kind of searching back, isn't he? Anyway. Is he? Yeah. I haven't seen his newer movies. I haven't either. Yeah. But I hear they're good. <laughs> okay. Um, what did you think of The Simps? Do you know what I'm talking about there? That was like the monkeys who had like yes. human capabilities. Yeah. He, it's funny how he kind of mentioned it, but he didn't like elaborate that right. much on it. No, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. It was, it was a little weird. Like apparently they bred these monkeys and sp- I think they bred them over time and cloned them too. So they were sexless. But they could perform remedial tasks to maintain the spaceship. And they were strong. Yes. Stronger like, than like, Yeah. 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 Um, but they couldn't handle being in a spacesuit. So they could only be in a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was odd. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just going over things that just piqued oh, my yeah. interest. Did you want to do quotes? I can start with one that sure. I liked. Um <clears throat> How I mentioned earlier with the asteroid hitting Italy. Mm, Um, After that, he says, um, After the initial shock, mankind reacted with a determination and a unity that no earlier age could have shown. Which is just a simple sentence, but it's kind of a cool idea that it just... It takes one big thing to get everybody united, but then once that happens, we're more together, sort of. Right. Yes, I thought... I'm glad you brought that up because that was a that was a interesting plot point as well. Is that like that was the catalyst that kind of helped them explore space more and set up the the space. They didn't call it space force, did they? Space guard, excuse mm-hmm. me. Yep, it was space, space guard. guard, and then that eventually led to the United Planets and all this stuff. So, yeah, do you think there? You all right? How about this for a hypothetical question? Will there ever be? A moment like that that can actually unify humans worldwide. Uh, I don't see why not. I mean, if there's like a meteorite, asteroid, or some climate change related thing, I feel like that could get people on the same page. Okay. It reminds me of, okay, the movie The Martian, sci- or book. The Martian? Yeah, oh, okay. Well, you, all right, all right. Yeah, that's, yeah. Sci- that's sci-fi, right? Yes, yes. I like that. Did you did you read the book or see I didn't the movie? read the book. I just saw uh, the movie. Looks book. pretty good. Is it good? Yeah. Um, so, one part I liked is that uh, he's stuck out there, you know, on Mars, and um, China like helps bring him back. They mm-hmm. like offer us their resources or, or whatever. Right. So that's an example of just like mm-hmm. international unity based on this like existential yeah. issue. I would view that as temporary, though. I don't think there will be. I don't think there will be anything that will that will unify humans worldwide to the point where everyone will just 
band together and why are you so pessimistic i'm a realist (laughs) so cynical yeah maybe i am a little more cynical this week but well i i don't know well if i could just read one more thing to build off of that oh no um he says a hundred years earlier a much poorer world with far feebler resources had squandered its wealth attempting to destroy weapons launched suicidally by mankind against itself the effort had never been successful, but the skills acquired then had not been forgotten. Now they could be used for a far nobler purpose, and on an infinitely vaster stage. No meteorite large enough to cause catastrophe would ever again be allowed to breach the defenses of Earth. So began Project Space Guard. Ah. So yeah, that kind yes. of sets the stage for yes, everything. Yes, it does. Yes. And very well and said. He, by he's a very fun. anti-nuclear person, <laughs> I think yeah. it's pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, written in Cold War times. And here, here's here's a little example of how Arthur C. Clarke can explain the world inside Rama much better than I can. Because the guys are descending the steps, um, getting out to the plane, and they hear this after a storm, mm-hmm. and they hear this noise. They're like, that's a familiar noise. And it was the sound of falling water. So there was the origin of the sound they had heard descending from some hidden source in the clouds three or four kilometers away was a waterfall and for long minutes they stared at it silently almost unable to believe their eyes logic told them that on this spinning world no falling object could move in a straight line but there was something horribly unnatural about a curving waterfall that curved sideways to end many kilometers away from the point directly below its source I got another quote in there. Okay, here's another one. They're sailing on the cylindrical sea. They they create a makeshift raft to go out and and see if they can, if there's any place along the steep cliff to climb up on the other side. But the cylindrical sea runs the whole uh, circumference of the inside of Rama, so there's no way around it. But it's so they can look up and see the sea directly above them too. So all right. <clears throat> Every time, Norton said to himself, I feel that I've grown accustomed to Rama, it produces some new wonder. As resolution hummed steadily forward, it seemed again and again that they were caught in the trough of a gigantic wave, a wave that curved up on either side until it became vertical, then overhung until the two flanks met in a liquid arch 16 kilometers above their heads. Despite everything that reason and logic told them, None of the voyagers could for long throw off the impression that at any minute those millions of tons of water would come crashing down from the sky. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, things like that that help, that just, Arthur C. Clarke helps you, me, anyway, visualize the world so, so complete. And I guess that's the thing is, like, sure, there's not much character development, or action or that nothing really it's a tease nothing really happens from Rama but like he goes into good detail that's so visual for me like sometimes books can try to explain things and I'm reading them and it sounds nice but I don't see it in my head Mm -hmm. you know I but for this one I could see it so clearly like I was there on the raft looking up and seeing this huge ring of water that I'm on and just being completely baffled about the, the physics behind it all. 
So yes. That, yeah, yeah. He, he does a good job of describing it, but he doesn't fall into the trap of like over-explaining things mm-hmm. like some authors. He leaves enough room for like the mystery of it to sure. be interesting. Yeah. I felt like he had some good passages as well. Like just like short ones. Like this is where um, I think Johnny Pack or something was his name. One of the crew members flies a little uh, like flying bicycle down the the radius of or down the axis of Rama to get to the south end. He flies over the cylindrical sea, and then he tries to fly back, but then he's crashing. But as he does so, he actually he felt little fear. And this surprised him, for he had never thought of himself as a particularly brave man. It was almost as if he were watching the struggles of a complete stranger and was not himself personally involved. I I feel like in times of crisis, sometimes people act in ways that surprise even themselves because it's kind of like an outer body experience or something like that. Yeah, like that guy, that character was... An Olympic athlete or something? Yeah, he like Space Olympics or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Lunar Olympics. <laughs> the, oh, is that what it was? Yeah, like, that's right. So they yeah. sent him out on a little yeah. expedition. That was cool. Um, okay, I like this quote about Captain Norton. He says, mm-hmm. um, Norton had once visited the ruins of an Aztec temple, and the feelings he had then experienced now came echoing back to him, amplified a hundred times. Here was the same sense of awe and mystery and the sadness of the irrevocably vanished past. Yet the scale here was so much greater, both in time and in space, that the mind was unable to do it justice. After a while, it ceased to respond. Norton wondered if, sooner or later, he would take even Rama for granted. Mm. I thought that was well written. Yeah. Yeah, for being a scientist guy, I think Arthur C. Clarke's a pretty good writer, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. You get the sense that he just likes the idea of adventure, too, and like these past travelers. and. Oh, yeah. I always liked the... In history, learning about the explorers, Columbus, Vasco da Gama, Magellan, mm-hmm. all those guys. Did I mean, maybe that, did you have interest in that? Yeah, oh yeah, okay. I was really interested in that. Yeah. I know a lot of them turn out to be really terrible people. <laughs> but like, that's the whole thing about history is you hold them to today's standards and everyone's a terrible person before 1900, right? Right. Well, that's why he mentioned James Cook, though, I think, is that... Yeah. As far as those guys go, he wasn't as terrible. Yes, he was more Relative. fair to his crew and to the natives he met and and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> this was a little something I thought was funny. The commander gets a message, uh, like a a message comes in. Someone you know prints it out and gives it to him, and then. Um, Slowly and thoughtfully, he walked across to the improvised life support complex and dropped the message into an electro-sand. The brilliant flare of laser light bursting out through the crack beneath the seat cover told him that the demands of security were satisfied. It was too bad, he told himself, that all problems could not be disposed of so swiftly and hygienically. (laughs) Because he's talking about a toilet. Yeah. (laughs) He threw it in the toilet, and then the electro-sand, like... Vaporize their waste. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like little things like that <laughs> that I enjoyed too. <laughs> yeah. In general, his tone was kind of like dry, had some dry humor to it. He would throw in those little funny parts to break up the serious parts. Yeah. All right. And uh, Commander Norton, this is after 
Mercury launches a missile heading towards Rama, and one of Commander Norton's crew members comes to him and says that they can have a plan to go out, like, go out into space, do a little solo mission, and disarm the missile. And so, Commander Norton's weighing the options of does he make this, does he do this and be a saboteur and, and disarm the missile and upset potentially the whole United Planets, or but at the same time saving Rama or does he just ditch Rama let it be exploded and and see what happens but this was the passage to act or not act that was the question never before had Norton felt such a close kinship with the Prince of Denmark whatever he did the possibilities for good or evil seemed in perfect balance he was faced with the most morally difficult of all decisions if his choice was wrong he would know very quickly, but if he was right, he may never be able to prove it. And so that made me think of like, not just history, but even personal lives. Like I've had this thought many times, is like, we never really know, we rarely know, when we're close to disaster. You know, like if, oh dang, you know, we, we're driving along and we don't, catch that yellow light, we, we stop and it's red. And we're like, oh darn. But what if we if we made the yellow light, maybe at the next intersection we would have gotten hit and in an accident. You know, like things like that where, I mean, that's that's just the random act. But like sometimes when you have to make a tough decision and you can't make up your mind, there's no way to really know sometimes that you made the right or wrong decision in life. Mm-hmm. And that can be frustrating, but it's part of life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that he adds some, like, morality issues here, mm-hmm. or, like, heavy decisions like that. Right. This is the guy defusing the bomb. This is Norton uh, weighing the options of should he play, order him to follow through with his plan to disarm the bomb, or should he call him back and say, no, yeah. don't do it. Because it's a big kind of decision yeah. in that context. Right. It's, like, upset Mercury and disturb right. the world order, or... Because Mercury, just by destroying it, it's like you could upset this civilization that maybe back home, or it's like in general, the worry was that they're going to destroy this knowledge and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, past civilizations. Right. So. Yeah. So speaking of the people on Mercury, mm-hmm. he says um, they were respected for their toughness and engineering skills and admired for the way in which they had. Uh, conquered so fearsome a world, but they were not liked, and still less were they completely trusted. At the same time, it was possible to appreciate their point of view. The Hermians, it was often joked, sometimes behaved as if the sun were their personal property. They were bound to it in an intimate love-hate relationship, as the Vikings had once been linked to the sea, the Nepalese to the Himalayas, the Eskimos to the tundra. They would be most unhappy if something came between them and the natural force that dominated and controlled their lives. So, yeah, that made me feel like this is this, like, space politics thing mm-hmm. where they were so dependent on the sun that they were going to nuke this uninhabited right. space world to not have it risk interfering. Right. Yeah, that's what, that was well done. Well, ah, all right. So this is it towards the end um, when Arthur C. Clarke is ex- describing how Rama is... R- approaching the sun, rounding the sun, like almost dipping into the sun a little bit to, to, to 
slingshot itself out of the uh, solar system. Um, all right. Faster and faster, Rama swept around the sun, moving more swiftly than any object that had ever traveled through the solar system. In less than two hours, its direction of motion had swung through more than 90 degrees, and it had given a final, almost contemptuous proof of its total lack of interest in all the worlds whose peace of mind it had so rudely disturbed. Like, it didn't give a shit about the rest of the solar system. Like, just <laughs> gone. So that's why I view it as a spaceship, because I view the Ramans programming this path, picking our sun out as a good slingshot point to get to some other final destination. And I don't mean those shitty, like, 90 movies of final destination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe. Mm-hmm. I guess it explains, like, the biods. They weren't really interested in the people. Right. They would just kind of, like, pick apart their um, equipment or try to, like, see what everything was, but they didn't care that much about the individuals. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I've got one more quote I could give. Sure. I think this kind of summarizes my favorite aspects of it. So he says, uh, I think this is the olympic athlete guy who was mm. on the sky bike and kind of went on this little sub adventure right um because it was a dangerous that was kind of cool. side mission so he crashed before you say your quote he crashed on the south side of the the rama mm-hmm. and then he came to the the cliff and they had him jump off the cliff that was like 50 kilometers high mm-hmm. and then land in the water because they calculated the terminal velocity he would reach is it would be a little less than on Earth because Rama had a lower gravity, so it wouldn't kill him if he like held his shirt above his head like a, almost like a parachute to increase the drag. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. That whole part. That'd be cool to see in a movie version. Yeah. yeah. I was looking on YouTube of like for clips about this, and it's like Morgan Freeman producing a movie about Rendezvous with Rama. Oh, really? Like, yeah. yeah, but this is like four years ago, so uh, I think it's just production hell yeah. or it's not gonna happen yeah it'd be hard it'd be but it would, i think it would be hard i mean uh, because they would they would if they had made a movie they would have to do something more to keep the story interested because there's no way like like you said there's not really a payoff mm-hmm. i don't think they can make a movie that just doesn't have a payoff you know right like even interstellar has kind of an open ending like with the the future of humanity and all that stuff, but it's ultimately about Matthew McConaughey's character and his daughter. You, have you seen Interstellar? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. Yeah, the, they probably have to add some stuff to it to yeah. make it more acceptable to audiences. Right. Make it more satisfying. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a little refreshing to read a book that doesn't follow a formula because mm-hmm. so many books are very really predictable. So the fact that it doesn't have a payoff is frustrating, but it's kind of like you respect that it's different. Oh, I yeah. I totally liked it. I'm I was not particularly frustrated with the way it ended i i felt i felt it was kind of refreshing because it was a like i said a concept i never thought about before that aliens would just do a flyby and we'd see them but aliens don't care because they're off to bigger things Mm -hmm. yeah i'm sorry to interrupt no it's all good uh so he says 
Yet, if there were no hazards, there would be no achievement, no sense of adventure. Millions of men would gladly have traded places with him now. He was going not only where no one had ever been before, but also where no one would ever go again. In all of history, he would be the only human being to visit the southern regions of Rama. Whenever he felt fear brushing against his mind, he could remember that. Yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Would you like to say that you've been somewhere that no one else has ever been? Is that possible on you see, Earth? See, that's just it. I don't think it is anymore, right? Yeah. Unless, like, you get technical and, like, because there's volcanoes in the Pacific, so, like, if they reach above the sea level, then mm -hmm. it's technically an island. So you could just go there and be like, hey, I'm on an island. And, yeah. You know? <laughs> I've done it. I've yeah. been somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Man, that'd be hard. I mean, if you've gone to some, like, obscure cave or, like, you know natural location even though you're not the first person it's still it's a cool feeling to think like not a lot of people have been here right so right you know i can you, kind of feel that do you ever read robinson crusoe i don't think so okay I, I remember reading that when i was younger and really loving it too because that i mean he was deserted on a on a care island in the caribbean uh -huh. i think and um yeah and so he thinks He's alone, but maybe he's not. He's not. <laughs> well, we'll see. But anyway, back to this book. Yeah. This is my last quote. I liked it, because it's at the end, and it's Commander Norton. He had succeeded on this mission beyond all reasonable expectation. What his men had discovered in Rama would keep scientists busy for decades, and above all, he had done it without a single casualty. But he had also failed. One might speculate endlessly, but the nature and the purpose of the Ramans was still utterly unknown. They had used the solar system as a refueling stop, a booster station, call it what you will, and had then spurned it completely on their way to more important business. They would probably never even know that the human race existed. Such monumental indifference was worse than any deliberate insult. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah a good I like that one. Because, I mean, that's... I guess I've always had this cosmic perspective. Not always. But I have a cosmic perspective of, I guess, just where humans are in the universe. Because this stems probably from my religious background. Me going to church every Sunday... Uh, growing up Mennonite, rather conservative, shielded, guard, you know, um, kind of out of touch with, I guess, mainstream culture and society a little bit. Um, so as an adult, I, ha you know, had to re-examine things as I grew up and don't really know what's out there or what's beyond this universe I I believe in a higher power but um, I feel like humans are limited in our capacity to um, try to process what God could be so we have kind of developed what suits what makes sense for us humans to to rationalize and think about it. So I have always wondered about not just other life in this universe, but beyond the universe, what 
is out there. And I do believe there is something bigger than humans, but I can't say that we have all the answers. And so to think about aliens not even, you know, dignifying us with an insult, like he says, just sheer indifference um, makes me think about the human place in the universe and beyond and, and is, is I think, a, an interesting thought, like it, 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 a thought exercise for me. And I think, you know, it, it would benefit most people to think a little more about bigger, um, have a bigger, broader perspective of human beings than just, I know, I know it's hard, you, you know, you have to go, to, you go to work, you gotta make, make some money to provide for you and your family and whatnot, but I always think there's time to contemplate bigger things. Maybe that's why I like science well, fiction. Most people aren't as enlightened as you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they don't all have this cosmic perspective. Well, I... <laughs> yeah, you're right, Tim. I'm just giving I'm you a hard time. Yeah, I know. No. But as another enlightened person, I think, uh, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I think that's a great quote to wrap things up because it's a very humbling... Um, thought that the aliens are just passing through and right. don't even take us seriously enough to because we like as a people uh, stemming out from the individual family culture civilization everything uh we see ourselves as the center of like the universe and um just to think that there's so much more out there that we're not even on their radar of like these mm -hmm. other beings that's it is a very humbling feeling so mm -hmm. yeah yeah, so we shouldn't get caught up in all this like you know BS and right. I guess that. that's what I'm getting at. You're yeah. yes, thank you, Tim, Hippie for stuff. for for helping me uh, find uh, a direction. Because yes, this it. I don't mean people should like wallow and say you know humans are this speck on a on. A, a blue planet in the middle of this gigantic universe. You know, no. Think that all human, all humanity has a common destiny in the universe. Like, what happens on Earth affects every one of us. So, while you may be having a shitty day because your boss is hard on you or, or you, you have to go to the doctors or, or some other inconvenience, just, I hope people can realize that and the grand scheme of the things, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to be a fatalist. Just don't sweat this. I guess that's the thing. Is I'll leave you with this. Don't sweat the small stuff. Enjoy being around the people you like and the people you love. And be kind to all humans because we're all in it together. That's good advice. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> should we, ra should we wrap it up, Tim? Yeah, what's your rating? Oh, right, rating. I give it a five, man. I really? loved it. I loved it. Yep. Wow. I know. I mean, I thought about a four because, like, should I reserve my five-star ratings for books I, like, are my all-time favorites? Like, Brave New World and Catch-22 and those? I don't think I can because, like, a star, a book I, a book I should be able to write a five, be rate a five-star and not have it on my, like, top ten list, you know? Because yeah. then that's going to limit my five stars. But you know what? For how... How much I read it, how fast I read it, 
I was constantly hooked going to chapter to chapter. I can visualize the inside of Rama so well in my head thanks to Arthur C. Clarke's descriptions that, yeah, five out of five. Mm. You're going to give it like a three <laughs> or two. No, not You're a not two. You're not going to give it a two? I'll sure. give it, I give it a three. Yeah. I think, yeah, like I can appreciate it more having discussed it with you and I, I like how much you, you took away from it. But just as someone who appreciates more story arcs and character development, I felt like those were just too lacking for me. Right. And I think that's a totally valid critique of this book. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I also think that what you said first is that you listening to me helped you appreciate the book more. I, I kind of like that about our podcast here is that we we discuss it and it helps shape our uh, views of the book. Because like you... And that's the whole point is to to read books and talk to talk to them about other people, and um, yeah. So because one person's perspective is not always um, enough. Yeah, yeah. So go to our website, Two Guys One Book, and let us know what you Two think. Two Guys One Book dot com. Next book is To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. Yes, I haven't started reading it yet. I think you have. I have. But it's and this is to this be, is one of your picks. Tim, it's one right? that I chose, yes. so it'll be a good one this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I like this book. I would I would recommend Rendezvous with Rama. You would. I just don't read sci-fi that yeah. much. It's really just right. a personal thing. Um, okay. Note to self: never pick sci-fi yeah. again. <laughs> or if you want to make me angry. <laughs> yeah. no, if I make you angry, I'll make you read another Malcolm Gladwell book. Yeah. God. What if there's like a sci-fi Malcolm Gladwell? That'd be the worst. Just. Alright. But so yeah, you, Virginia Woolf. Yes. Should be nice classic. and depressing. Yeah. I think it's like ranked like in the top twenty of all novels. Yeah, it's pretty time. well regarded. Yeah. Yeah. Should be good. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Till next time. Keep reading. Keep reading. <laughs> Keep reading. Is that how we're gonna do it? <laughs>